the Lord seemed to impress upon me a couple of weeks back um, a topic for a series that I'm going to teach for the next eight weeks. And to be real honest with you, I, I wasn't sure. It, uh, well, it just didn't make sense for a little bit. I had to pray it out. I'm going to teach on the, the subject of healing for the next eight weeks here on Sunday mornings. Now, one of the reasons that I had uh, difficulty, don't get me wrong, I enjoy teaching on healing. That's one of the things that I cut my teeth on. And uh, if there's anything that's alive and big on the inside of me, it's that subject. But we teach healing school every Sunday in the evening. And so I question, Lord, you want me to teach healing on Sunday morning and Sunday evening? And the Lord impressed upon me that there's a lot of people that need the, the knowledge of the truth on the subject of healing. They won't come to healing school. And so as a service to you, he's directed us in this way. John chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Now the next scripture I want you to see is in John chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus is speaking to his disciples again and he said, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Now let's look at these two verses of scripture and see what we can glean from them. First, in John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Um, one of the last things he says to them before he goes to the cross. And then, of course, after that goes to heaven and is separated from them. And he's telling them about that which is to come. What we know of as the day of salvation or the church age. And Philip reveals something in his statement he said in the previous verse, in verse 8, he said, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. That reveals something to us that I think, well, that certainly occurred in, in him, maybe in others, others of the disciples as well. But I think it happens a lot today. Philip got caught up in the things that Jesus did and didn't realize what they signified. He was there. He was an eyewitness. He was a participant in the works of healing and miracles that Jesus did. But he didn't realize what they signified. I think the modern day church does that too. I think the modern day church will look at what Jesus did, the healings that, it, that occurred in his life and his ministry, and they'll say, well, yeah, that was Jesus. And of course, if Jesus was here today, he could do the same things. But they fail to realize why Jesus did what he did. And he's identifying his purpose. He's saying very specifically, the things that you've seen in me, Philip, the healings, the casting out devils, the deliverances, all the miracles and all the signs and wonders that you've been a, a witness to and have heard about, reveal the will of the Father in every situation. He that has seen me has seen the Father. He that has seen me in the area of deliverance has seen the Father's will on deliverance. 
He that has seen me operate in the area of sickness and disease has seen the Father's will concerning healing. Every healing you've seen me perform, Philip, signifies God's will on the subject of healing. Now in John chapter 6 verse 38, Jesus says something that that is on a parallel track to that same thought. He said, I came to the earth not to do my own will, but to do the will of him that sent me. What did he do? He waged war on sin, the devil, and sickness. So it's the will of God for his emissaries, his agents, certainly his son, to wage war on sin, sickness, and the devil. Now, the the Bible tells us some things very specifically about God in a number of different ways in a number of different places. The one I like the most concerning God and his character and the fact that he never changes is he said in the Old Testament, I'm God, I change not. That's hard to argue with. There's no wiggle room with that. God says, I'm always the same. So if he sent Jesus to attack sin, the devil, and sickness, then it's still his will for his agents, his emissaries, or his children to combat sin, sickness, and the devil. Jesus said, after his resurrection, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. He mentions speaking with new tongues. He mentions spirits, uh, divine protection. He mentions authority over the devil. They'll cast out devils in the last one of the five Signs he said would follow is they lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So the last thing Jesus did was put the church in a position of war against the devil and sickness. Are you out there? The reason for that is because God never changes. He never changes. James 1.17 says every good and perfect gift comes down from above. From the father of lights in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God never changes. God never changes. Well, Jesus said he was a gift from God. I came not to the earth to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So he's a good gift. What did that good gift perform? Deliverance and healing. Now turn with me over to Acts chapter 10. Peter is preaching in Cornelius' house. And you may recall the circumstances surrounding how he got there. Up until this point in time in Acts chapter 10, the gospel has been primarily stuck in and around the outskirts of Jerusalem. It has not gone to the Gentiles. But Cornelius has a vision of an angel that says, send to a certain place for Peter and he'll tell you what to do. Peter has a vision. That signifies that God has cleansed the Gentiles along with the Jews. That salvation is available for everyone. So when he finally gets to the point where he obeys God and goes down to Cornelius' house. He's preaching and telling about Jesus. And notice what he said in verse 38. He's telling people about Jesus that have never heard. And notice what he considered an important, critical and vital part of Jesus' character, person and ministry. 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing. Well, every good gift comes from above. From the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness near the shadow of turning. So what did Jesus do? He went about doing good and healing. Folks, that means healing comes from heaven and healing always has to be good. Now notice why he did this. For God was with him. Jesus said, I always do the will of my father. That means it could not have been God's will for any of the people that were on the earth that Jesus ministered healing to, to have been sick. It means it's impossible for any of the people that Jesus ministered healing to, to have been made sick by God. Because therefore he would have been working against the will of God because God never changes. If God ever wanted anybody sick, he always wants everybody sick. So the fact that Jesus healed and destroyed the power of sickness and disease tells us it was not God's will for anybody to be sick. And that healing has to be good because it's from God. Now where did the church lose that? Where did the church come up with the idea that salvation, God's war on sin, is still in effect, but not on sickness? Near as I can tell, folks, it came about by people trying to explain away why they didn't get the results the Bible says we're supposed to get. They've come up with excuses for why things don't work or didn't work. For them the way they thought they were supposed to work. One of the things that has always intrigued me. As I began to grow in the things of God. Is the story of. That Jesus gave about the word of God planted in ground. Mark chapter 4 tells the story of the, the parable of the sower sowing the word. He talks about the word of God being sown into the hearts of people. Four different types of people. He concludes this story in Mark chapter 4. I think it's verse 26. He says, the whole of the kingdom of God is like a man planting seed in the ground. In other words, he's saying everything about the kingdom of God is like planting a seed. Well, as I've grown a little bit more in the Lord, I've come to the place where the, the term, the phrase kingdom of God means a lot more to me than it used to. It used to just mean something general meaning things about God. But it occurred to me one day when I saw that Jesus sent the disciples out to preach the kingdom of God that they wouldn't know beans about God and know what to preach. If the kingdom of God meant what I thought it meant, what I always looked at it to mean, just things about God, what in the world would the disciples know about God? It had to mean more than that. It had to mean something else than that. Well, in the Lord's Prayer, when the disciples went to Jesus and asked him to teach them to pray. Part of the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Jesus is telling them to pray that the kingdom of God would come. Well, that's a good prayer. That sounds real religious. But what does that mean? He defines it for us. He said, pray thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Well, there's no question what the will of God is in heaven. There's no sickness there. There's no disease there. There's nothing that can hurt, nothing that can harm, nothing that can destroy. Jesus told his disciples to pray that the kingdom of God would come so that the will of God would be done on the earth just like it is in heaven. Well, the Bible tells us that now Jesus has gone to the Father and has paid the price with his own precious blood for sin, sickness, and disease and all the other characteristics of spiritual death that the kingdom of God has come. And so the whole purpose, God's whole plan for enabling us through the blood of Jesus to be born again and made righteous in his blood is so that he can live in us and so that his will can be done in our lives here in the earth just like it is in heaven. One of the things that's always bugged a stew out of me is when somebody dies of sickness or disease and some Christian, some well-meaning, sincere, but ignorant Christian will say, well, they're healed now. Now that they're in heaven, they're healed. Well, they don't have a physical body in heaven, dummy. (laughs) But Christians bless their darling hearts. And stupid heads, as Brother Hagin used to say. (laughs) Try to come up with these phrases that have no meaning whatsoever. When it comes to the truth. Folks. Healing is for this earth. It's for now. It's for the physical body. Now let's think back to the creation. We know that in the first five days. God created all the stuff that's around us. The sun, the moon, the stars. The dry land, the earth. Or the the trees, the grass. The critters, the birds, the fish, everything else that was there. And each day he looked at it and he saw that it was good. On the sixth day he makes man. After he supplied the earth, after he's made everything that there is, he makes man. And he says, let us make man in our own image and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air. And so he makes man in his own image and likeness. He makes man an exact duplicate and copy of himself. And he says, let them have dominion. The whole purpose for making man was for somebody to have dominion over the earth. He created man for the purpose of having dominion. Now, folks, if God never changes and God's original plan for man was to have authority on the earth, what do you think his present day plan is? The same for man to have authority on the earth. Now, we've been guilty, I've I've been guilty in times past of saying, well, when Satan came on the scene, he obtained that authority from man. But that can't be true. Because if man had lost his place of authority, then there would be no purpose whatsoever in God giving commandment in the Old Testament as a part of the Old Covenant to choose life instead of death. Blessing instead of cursing. There would have been no reason whatsoever for God to have said, for example, in Numbers chapter 14, about verse 23, Say unto them, as they have spoken in my ears, so shall I do unto them. Because if Satan was the one that had authority on the earth after Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, 
then man would have no way to choose life anyway. He would have had no means of exercising authority through his words or any other method for God to work on his behalf. The old covenant would have had to look like something like this, where God would have had to say to, to, uh, to Abraham, well, it doesn't matter if you obey what I tell you to do or not, because you don't have authority to determine your outcome. But because of my mercy and because I'm deciding to take a liking to you, I'm just going to do things for you anyway. The law of Moses wouldn't have been about obedience. It would have been about God making a decision to supersede the devil's authority on the earth for man's benefit. But that's not what it is, is it? The Old Testament was based on authority. Man exercising his authority through obedience. It intrigued me that Jesus, well, why don't you turn with me over to Matthew chapter 7. This might be one that we need to look at rather than just refer to. Matthew chapter 7 gives us some information that astonished me when I saw it. Notice it says, beginning in verse 28, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings. The sayings that he's talking about before is, whosoever shall hear these sayings of mine and do them is like a wise man that built his house on the rock, that stands in the middle of the storm. The foolish man hears and doesn't obey, and so his house is swept away by the same storm. When Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. That means his teaching. Not at him. But it is doctrine. For, because, here's why they were astonished at his teaching. Because he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The word one is not in the original transcript. If you're reading from the King James, you'll notice it's in italics. It literally reads, for he taught them as having authority and not as the scribes. As having literally means the manner in which to hold or how to hold. They were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them how to hold authority. Not like the scribes. It occurred to me that Jesus spent a lot of time. Talking about man's authority. And the people were astonished at his doctrine. Now when you realize that Jesus came to the earth. Specifically for the purpose. Of exercising judgment, passing judgment on sin, sickness, and the devil. When you realize that his earthly ministry, his three years of earthly ministry, was to show us what the will of God was concerning sin, sickness, and the devil, then it makes perfect sense that Jesus would teach how to hold authority. It says in John chapter 5 and verse 26, it says, Jesus was given authority to exercise judgment over sin, sickness, and the devil because he was the son of man. Not because he was the son of God, but because he was the son of man. In other words, Jesus did what he did here on the earth. Anointed of God to do good and healing here on the earth because God was with him. 
Because he was a man who had authority. Because man has authority on the earth. Not God. God didn't take back the authority that he gave to man when man fell. Satan didn't take man's authority when, when man fell. Man still has authority. So Jesus came to the earth as a man to exercise man's authority. And so it would make sense that he would spend some time teaching on that subject. Because he's trying to get other people to exercise authority too. And here's why that's important. Because when God looked at the earth after he made man to have authority. It says he made an end after the six days. He made an end of everything that he created. And he looked at it and he said that it was very good. And sin and sickness is not to be found. Man is, or God is not the creator. He's not the originator of sickness any more than he's the originator of sin. The reason Jesus came to the earth to wage war on sin, sickness, and the devil is because they're not of God. Never have been, never will be. God doesn't use sickness against mankind any more than he would use sin against mankind. And the church's attitude towards sickness should be the same as his attitude against sin and everything else in the devil. Now back to a point that I started to make a few minutes ago. Jesus said, the whole of the kingdom of God is as if a, is if a, is as if a man should plant seed in the ground. What's happened in the modern day church, it seems to me, you judge this for yourself. But it seems to me the modern day church has put the emphasis on people that have certain ministries, special ministries, healing ministries. And they've looked for somebody with a special ministry or special power, special anointing, whatever you want to call it, to pray for them. And if you could just get somebody with a special power, like they supposed that Jesus had when he was here on the earth. If you could just get somebody with a special power, a special ministry, or a special anointing concerning healing to pray for you, then then you can receive your healing. But folks, the praying that the modern day church does for healing, for the most part, is like a farmer asking for a harvest without planting seed. F.F. Bosworth that wrote the great classic Christ the Healer wrote in his early one of the early chapters maybe chapter one but he was talking about the the importance of appropriating faith and how the word of God is like a seed just like Jesus said it was and he said we've had people that have been prayed for numerous times without results that after reading the word of God reading this book and seeing what the word of God had to say on the subject were remarkably healed. He went on to say this. He said, so much of the praying that people request for healing is in vain. He said, instead of asking for prayer, people should be asking, teach me the word so I'll know what it says concerning healing. Because it's only through the planning of the word which we call faith that healing can be appropriated and some people will say well that's not how God works 
God sometimes just does things to show that he's God. Show me anybody that God's ever saved just to show that he was God. Show me anybody that's ever been saved against their will or without exercising faith in what the Bible says about God's will concerning their salvation to prove that he was God. I defy anybody to show me. Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 10. He said, with a heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But he said, you can't believe if you don't hear. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Now, remember what we said a minute ago about the kingdom of God. Where Jesus taught the disciples to pray the kingdom come. It hadn't come in their day, but it has come in ours. Thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. When Jesus gave the disciples authority to cast out devils and to heal sickness and disease, every sickness and every disease, he sent them out and told them, into the cities, go into the cities and if they'll receive you, heal the sick that are therein and say, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. He connects healing, physical healing with the kingdom of God. And that's what the Bible says has already come to us. That's the same kingdom of God that has come to us. Now, if we were preaching forgiveness of sins, what the world calls salvation or what the church world calls salvation, which we should more accurately call the remission of sins. See, the word salvation that's used in the New Testament is an all-inclusive term. It means everything Jesus paid for through the shedding of his blood. Well, the Bible says part of what Jesus paid for was physical healing, healing for the body, not just forgiveness or remission of sins. But if we were preaching the remission of sins, trying to encourage people to come to the altar and give their heart to Jesus, to be born again or made a new creature in him, we would go out of our way to tell the work that Jesus has done, the substitutionary work of the shedding of his blood, the payment of your sins and mine. And we would make sure to tell them. We'd make sure to proclaim, and we wouldn't be shy about it. We'd be bold about saying, there's no sin that's too great. Well, since physical healing, the Bible says, was paid for by the same blood of Jesus, what sickness is too great to be healed of? Now, folks, my purpose this morning is just to introduce the subject. I'm going to get into a lot of the nuts and bolts of healing, the how-tos, the what-to-dos, the how-to-do-its, and so forth over the next several weeks. But what I want you to see first and foremost this morning is that it's impossible for it to be God's will for you or for me or for any of his children to be sick in body. It's impossible. Now that doesn't mean we have all the answers. And it doesn't mean we always get the results as quickly as we want to. But it doesn't change the truth of the word. 
God's word is true. Someone came to me not too long ago, recently, and they asked me a question. And it's one that's been a question of mine for a long time. You remember when God sent Moses to Pharaoh? Moses is talking to God out of the burning bush. And God gives Moses certain instruction. The first thing he asks him is he says, what is in your hand? Moses is resistant to the work God wants him to do. So he says, what's in your hand? He says, a stick or a rod. He said, cast it down. He threw it down on the ground. It turned into a snake. Moses ran from it, but then came back. And God said, now grab it by the tail. It turned into a stick again. One of the next things that happens is that God tells Moses, stick your hand in your vest the garment you're wearing and he did he pulled it back out and it was leprous his hand had leprosy he said stick it back in your garment he did and pulled it out again and it was clean when a sickness can never be from God so how did Moses' hand turn leprous I don't know that's an answer I don't have But one thing that I do know after having meditated on this for a long, long time, and that is this. Instead of trying to build some doctrine or theory out of what we don't know, let's look at the example in the story for what we do know from it. What do we know from the example that God gave Moses or the experience that Moses had before God? Well, we know first and foremost that God has authority over sickness and disease. Did God use leprosy in any way whatsoever in that example other than to show Moses that he had power over it? What else is there to see in that story? I can't find anything else. Well, how could God have enabled Moses to have leprosy if sickness ever comes from God. I don't know. I can surmise. I can speculate. It's possible that he took his hand of protection off of Moses for an instant and leprosy was the result. That would do it. Now, whether or not that happened, I don't know. But I know the story does not tell us that God uses sickness and disease. Furthermore, the Bible says God never tempts a man with evil. It says God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt man with evil. Well, we know since healing is good, sickness has to be evil. So he can't use sickness and disease against mankind. Furthermore, if we look at Jesus as an example of the will of God in action, was there ever anybody in Jesus' earthly ministry? Now, let me let me... Back up a minute and and expand on something that I said quickly a minute ago. Jesus' earthly ministry was to show man what God's will was. That was it. That's the main purpose for Jesus' three years of earthly ministry. He didn't have to minister on the earth. He didn't have to be anointed of God to heal the sick in order to have righteous and pure blood as a sacrifice for sin. 
He could have gone to the cross at age 30 without ever entering into his earthly ministry. And the price for sickness and disease along with sin would have been paid for. Right? He didn't become righteous in those three years. So what was the three years of earthly ministry about? Exactly what he told Philip in John 14. He that has seen me has seen the Father. His earthly ministry was to show us God the Father. Specifically meaning to show us the will of God in every one of life's situations and circumstances. So when Jesus entered into his earthly ministry, we know of multitudes of people that were healed. John says if everything that Jesus said and did was written down, the world itself couldn't contain the books. I have to assume that means more people were healed than we have record of. Don't you think? Well, of the ones that we have record of, and I believe they were specifically picked by the Holy Ghost and saved for us, to give us a complete picture of the healing work of Jesus. Of all those people that came to Jesus and the ones that we have record of, Was there one that Jesus ever turned away and said, no, God wants you to be sick? Was there any person at any time in Jesus' ministry, according to the four Gospels, where Jesus refused to heal somebody? Was there ever anybody that came to Jesus for healing that didn't receive? The answer to all those is no. But that's what the church says. The church says sometimes God wants somebody sick. Sometimes God wants you to glorify him in your sickness. And work out his plan and purpose for your life. But that's not what Jesus showed us about the father. That's not what Jesus revealed to us about the will of God. Not even close. In fact, we see people that had difficulty receiving from Jesus where Jesus goes out of his way to make sure that they receive. We even have an example in Jesus' ministry in John chapter 5 where he was anointed of the Holy Ghost to do a specific work outside of the faith of the individual. It was the man at the pool of Bethesda. But it only worked for one person out of five porches full of people that were sick. Thank God there are times where he shows his mercy. To bring healing to someone. Even apart from their faith. But you can't count on that working for everybody. You can't count on that working for you. It works as the spirit of God wills. And it worked for one person in Jesus' ministry who had the spirit without measure. No limit to the power of God that was on him. It worked for one person in five porches full of sick people. Now, I don't know how big the porches are. I don't know how many people we're talking about. But I don't think we'd be taking a big jump here to think that there would be maybe 100 people at that place. And that may just be a fraction of the number that were there. But it works for one person out of the whole group. 
But the Bible says God sent his word and healed us. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 1. Notice what Paul said, beginning in verse 16. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, what do we understand the gospel of Christ to be? The word gospel means good news. So it has to be good news about what Jesus has done for us, right? Now, it might also be worth mentioning in Acts chapter 14, where it tells us that Paul was in the region of Galatia, went down to the city of Lystra, and there they preached the gospel. I think that's John four, uh, Acts 14.8. And there they preached the gospel. And there was a certain impotent man who was crippling his feet who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped and walked. So according to Acts 14, Paul, the guy that writes this letter, preached the gospel and the gospel included healing. Paul perceived that the crippled man in Lystra had faith to be healed. And you can't get faith without hearing the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if the man has faith to be healed, Paul has to have preached on healing. By definition. I wonder if that's the gospel he's talking about in Romans 1, 16. Wouldn't make sense that the Holy Ghost would inspire Paul. To use the same word to mean something else, would it? See, he knew, as we should know, that the gospel includes everything Jesus paid for with his blood. He knew what we should know, that the gospel of Jesus includes healing for the physical body. So he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it... The word of God about what Jesus has done for us. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is that word salvation. It's the word sozo in the Greek. It means to rescue. It means to deliver. It means to make safe. It means to make sound and it means to heal. Even Dr. Schofield, one of the great Baptist scholars of the modern generation, says in his footnote of this very verse that salvation is an all-inclusive term, including deliverance and healing. That's pretty good for Baptists. They never taught me that about the Schofield Bible when I was in the Baptist church. But folks, it's true. Whether you preach it or not, whether you act on it or not, it's true. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it, the word of God concerning what Jesus has done for us, is the power of God. The word of God is the power of God. Unto salvation. To everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. As I've mentioned a couple of times already, Mark chapter 4, verse 26, Jesus said, the whole of the kingdom of God, which we already know includes healing, 
by Jesus' own definition, by Jesus' own statements, includes healing. At least it did when he was here on the earth. Any reason that you can come up with for why the kingdom of God would have changed? The kingdom of God used to mean healing, but doesn't anymore? Who would have the authority to say that? Jesus certainly, as we've mentioned already, gave a mandate to the church to lay hands on the sick and the sick would recover now that the kingdom of God has come. So who has the authority to say that healing is not part of the kingdom of God anymore? I know a lot of preachers have. But who has the authority to say that? Who has the authority to take away what Jesus said was the kingdom of God? That's dangerous territory in my opinion. That's ground I'm certainly not going to tread on. So Paul said that the word of God, which Jesus told us was the seed that had to be planted in in the good ground of man's heart, is the very seed that produces the power for the harvest. If it's the word of God spoken concerning healing, it produces a harvest of physical healing for the body. He said the word of God is the power of God. The word of God is the power of God. The word of God is the power of God. We could say it this way. The word of God is the power to heal. Is there any wonder then why the devil has put so much effort into keeping the church from preaching healing? F.F. Bosworth, who had documented cases of more than 250,000 people that were healed in his ministry, said that healing was the dinner bell for the world to come to Jesus. No wonder the devil wants to quiet that bell. But I believe, folks, even in these last days, when health care is such an issue, In our modern day. That it's going to be more important than ever. For the church to declare. God's health care program. Maybe we should call it Jesus care. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing because he was sent from God because healing is a good gift from heaven. And God was with him to do it. God was with him to do it. Let's close with one final verse. Isaiah chapter 53. We'll talk a lot more about this in the coming weeks. Isaiah 53 is recognized by all Bible scholars as the Messianic chapter. It's God giving Isaiah a glimpse from the Old Testament perspective of the work that the Messiah would do 
to bring salvation to mankind. Let's start in verse 1. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Notice it starts off by saying the, the arm of the Lord, the power of God, for all the things he's about to tell us that the Messiah would do will be revealed or experienced or received, whichever word you want, by those who believe the report. Or believe the word, in other words. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He, speaking of Jesus, has no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This word sorrows is the word sickness. The word grief is the word pain. Acquainted doesn't mean he knows about. It means he's connected through relationship. It's the same word that's used in the Old Testament for translated no. Adam knew Eve and she conceived. When Adam and Eve fell, they knew that they were naked and they were ashamed. Their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked and ashamed. It's talking about a special relationship. It's talking about a connection and the knowledge that comes from it. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sickness with an intimate knowledge of of pains. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Even the ones that standing there at the foot of the cross didn't know what was going on. Surely. Please notice the word surely. S-U-R-E-L-Y. Surely, certainly, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. He has borne our sickness and carried our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, that's sins. He was bruised for our iniquities, that's sin. The difference between transgressions and sins is one's the sin of mankind that came upon all mankind through Adam's fall. The other is personal sins. See, you were spiritually dead not just because of Adam, but because of what you did too. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. With his stripes we are healed. With his stripes we are healed. Now, who gives the modern-day church authority to take away the last part of that verse? Some would say, well, Jesus fulfilled that when he was in his earthly ministry and he healed all that were sick. Matthew 8, 17 says he healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sickness. But if Jesus fulfilled any of the work of the cross in his earthly ministry, then he had to fulfill all the work of the cross in his earthly ministry. He couldn't have paid the price of being bruised for our iniquities on the cross and pay the price of being bruised for our sicknesses on earth or in his earthly ministry. We got to be consistent. If he paid the price before he went to the cross, then that means he paid all the price before he went to the cross. 
Because it's the same bruising. It's the same punishment. It's the same blood that was shed. Surely he has borne our pains and carried our sickness. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. It's almost like the Holy Ghost knew there'd be an argument about the subject. Because there's only one surely you can find in this whole chapter. And that's concerning sickness and disease. Only one. Surely. He has borne our sickness and carried our pains. Surely. He has done so. Folks I want you to understand what the Bible is telling us. It's telling us that just as there is no sin that's too big for Jesus. Because he paid the price for all of it. There is no sickness that is too great. Or experienced too long. Or suffered in any great, too great a measure. For you to be healed of. Because he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes. We are healed. Skip down with me to verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. In the literal Hebrew, it says he has made him sick. It pleased the Lord to do so. Why? Did he get some kind of kick out of Jesus' suffering? No. It pleased him to do so because he was taking the, paying the price and being your substitute. He took your sickness and your disease. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has made him sick. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He's talking about the new birth. He's talking about you and me being born again. And notice the connection that he makes. He makes the same connection with offering for sin, which we know was through the work on the cross, with having been made sick. Now that doesn't mean Jesus had cancer on the cross or leprosy, or leukemia, or anything else. It means as our substitute, God laid upon him our sickness, just like he laid upon him our sins. He literally became the substitute for sin and sickness on the cross. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has made him sick. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Now, what is that seed supposed to look like? Well, it's supposed to look like a born-again creation because of the price Jesus paid for us to be born again. But it's also supposed to look like a healed and healthy body because of the price that he paid for our sickness. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has made him sick. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. What is the pleasure of the Lord? For you to be born again and walk in divine health. And it's impossible for it to be anything other than that. Absolutely impossible. The word of God tells us the promises that God has made to us and the work that Jesus has performed. 
It's a revelation of what God is eager to do in you and me. It's a revelation of what he's eager to do in you and me. He's eager to show himself strong. To heal your body. It's impossible for it to be otherwise. Because the word of God is true. I think too often for too many years. Too long a time. The church has left the things that we don't know. And the things that we can't explain. Keep us from believing the truth. But folks as far as I'm concerned the word is true. No matter what I can't figure out. The word of God is true. Let's pray. Father thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we were healed by the stripes of Jesus. Lord we thank you for opening our eyes to the truth. In a greater way than we've seen it before. We thank you for establishing us. Settling us once and for all. In the truth of the knowledge of your word concerning healing. We pray, Father, that through this series, the teaching of your word, the revelation of what Jesus has already done for us, we thank you that healings will occur in the bodies of our church people. We thank you that healings shall flow through our church like a river, that people will be raised up, that you will confirm your word with signs following. And things that have held on to us in times past. Doubts, questions. Shall be swept away with the truth of your word. Jesus you said that if we continued in your word. Then we'd know the truth. And the truth would make us free. We thank you father in advance. That the truth of the words concerning healing. Shall make us free from sickness and disease. In Jesus precious name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. It's not my intent. I'm open to whatever God tells me to do whenever he tells me to do it. But it's not my intent to pray for the sick during this series. It's my intention to teach so that we see the truth for ourselves. And I believe with all my heart that there'll be sicknesses and diseases that'll fall off people. Because of the truth of the word. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's lift our hands and thank God for what Jesus has done for us. Lord we bless you with all of our soul. And we forget not all of your benefits. You forgive all our iniquities. You heal all our diseases. You redeem our life from destruction. And crown us with loving kindness and tender mercies. You satisfy our mouths with good things. So that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Thank you, Father, for restoring us to divine health. We call for restoration, not just healing, restoration of strength, vitality, and everything else that the the enemy has tried to take from us. Restore, Father, in Jesus' name. We love you, Lord. And we thank you, Jesus, for being our substitute. Amen.
Amen. Well, God bless you. Have a great day. Come on back and we'll teach on healing again.